What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. When I was in seminary, I had to take a class called hermeneutics, and it is basically a class that teaches you the proper methods of understanding and studying and interpreting the Bible. And in that class there at Liberty University, I I heard my professor say something about the book of Hebrews that really rattled my cage. And he said, you might uh, just think that the book of Hebrews was a originally written by hand and is in a typical letter, but I want to challenge you to go home and read it in one sitting and you'll realize it was not a letter. It was a sermon that was put into a letter form. And I took my professor up on the challenge and I went home and I read the book. And if you're a, fat, if you're a slow reader, you could probably read it in 50 minutes or an hour. Uh, if you're a, an average reader, maybe um, 30 or 45 minutes or so. And if you're a really, really fast reader, maybe 20 or 25 minutes, you could read the whole book. And it's interesting, when you begin to read this book in that light, you begin to realize that this is actually far different than any of the other epistles in the New Testament, and it in fact most likely was originally preached as a sermon, and most likely, in my opinion, by the Apostle Paul. And I say that to say this, in verse 32, we know that in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, of course, the writer here is is presenting how Christ is superior than anything the Old Testament had to offer. And he comes to give these great examples and explanations of of faith. And, And in verse 32, he says what sometimes we all preachers say, well, time doesn't permit me to go on to speak about this. And here in verse 32, he begins to say, what shall I more say? The writer or the the preacher is referring to himself and just a food for thought for those of you who who might want to, to dig a little deeper here. There are some people in scholarship who think a woman wrote this book, but here in verse 32, the word I and the word me is originally in the masculine form, reminding us that this was a book written by a male human penman. But he says, what shall I say more? For time has failed me to speak about Gideon. Would you say Gideon with me? Gideon. Say it again. Gideon. One more time, please. Gideon. The title of my message today is simply this, the faith of Gideon. Have you ever ran short on time and you had to, 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 to lose sleep at night or to skip a meal here or to skip a particular event? Well, we all have. And in this sermon, the preacher could go on and on and on and on about all these Old Testament examples, but in this part, he only mentions Gideon by name. But we are blessed enough to have plenty of time to go through these characters a little bit more elaborately. And today, I want to draw our focus upon Gideon. And as I've been meditating on the life of Gideon, going back to the book of Judges, um, his life is is presented in chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're only going to look at chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 today very briefly. We're going to try to walk through his life in this one message. And, And if I could summarize his life with you in one simple statement, it would be this. Faith in God will courageously serve God. 
Faith in God will courageously serve God. So today we're really talking about two words, courageous faith. Could you say that with me? Courageous faith. I believe that if you have faith in God, then you will live in such a way that you will desire to serve God with a great dose of courage. And that's what we see in the life of Gideon. Courage. Courage in chapter 6 of Judges to destroy the altar to Baal and to erect an altar for God. Courage to to say, hey, we're going to go and overcome these Midianites. Courage to receive God's call on his life. Courage to say, hey, we've only got 300 people, but we're still going to attack the Midianites. Courage to say, I will not be your ruler, the Lord will be your ruler. But the question I've been pondering in my mind is I've been meditating in the life of Gideon. Is what does Gideon's courageous faith teach us about serving God? Well, of course, the writer of Hebrews here only mentions his name, but in verse 33 and verse 34, it seems to me that, that these particular contexts of the events is, is, can be applied to all the characters in verse 32. But, but, if, but if you will, I want to take us back to the book of Judges today. I want to go first to Judges chapter 6, then I'm going to go to Judges 7 and Judges 8. Now, we're not going to look at every single verse in all of these chapters, and so maybe later today or tonight or this week, you can go back through and you can read through the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. But I want to share this with you before we go back to the Old Testament. The book of Judges is perhaps the darkest period in the past of the nation of Israel. And, and, and it's kind of a cycle. If you've ever read or studied the book of Judges, you know it's a, it's a spiral, a cycle that they are going through. They're serving God and worshiping God right now. Then they slip away, begin to fall into sin and to worship other gods. And then God sends these oppressors to come in and overtake them and judge them. And then they cry out to God, ask God for help. God raises up a deliverer to come or a judge to come and help them. They overcome. There's a period of peace. Then they go back to their old ways. And it's that cycle the whole way through the book of Judges. Gideon is the fifth judge or the deliverer who comes up on the scene. But it's interesting, as you start in chapter 1 of the book of Judges, there's a repeated phrase, and it says, they did that which was evil in the sight of God. Over and over and over again, that's the theme of the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. And you start in chapter 1, they start off a little okay, the judges and deliverers do, and they continue to go down, down, down. It's kind of like this, you go into the bathroom, you do your business, you, pl- you, you flush the toilet, and every your waist goes down, down, and spirals into the sewer and that's exactly what the nation of Israel did in the book of Judges they spiraled down and down and went into the sewer of their sin into the sewer of idolatry into the sewer of immorality and today I want to take you to Judges chapter 6 and share with you a first thought that we can learn from the faith of Gideon consider this those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous consecration Those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous consecration. 
Here in Judges chapter 6, in verses 1 through 10, we observe that they are in bondage because of their sin. Notice verse number 6, excuse me, verse number 1 of chapter 6. It says that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so he, because they were doing evil in God's eyes, they were worshiping false gods, falling into immorality. Here it says that he delivered them over to the Midianites for seven years. They were oppressed. But in verse number six, it says that Israel was greatly impoverished because of these people from Midian. And then in this moment, after seven years, keep in mind, seven years goes on, they're wallowing in their sin, the, these people come and overtake them for seven years, and then finally after seven years, Israel cries out to God for help. And so God in his grace and his mercy, he raises up a deliverer and sends a messenger. But I want to draw your attention right now. Look at verse 7 through 10. In this particular section, God speaks after hearing Israel's cry, and he begins to say that he, the Lord God of Israel, had brought them. He reminds them that, hey, remember back in the day I took you out of Egypt, delivered you from the bondage of slavery. And in verse 10, it says, Don't fear these gods of the Amorites. Because I am the Lord your God. But then he says at the end here, he says, You have not obeyed my voice. Disobedience was the theme in the life of Israel in the book of Judges. But in verse 11, we have hope. We have hope because it is in this moment, verse 11, 12, and 13, that the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and consecrates him and calls him and dedicates him to serving God. And the angel speaks in verse 12 and says, The Lord is with you, Gideon. You are a mighty man of valor. Now, if you understand anything about Gideon, you'll realize that he was just an average guy working in his father's field. And I like that. Because it's a reminder today that you can be an average man or an average woman and God's hand can be upon you and use you to do great things. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to have all the accolades of, of the trophies of this life. You can be a normal human being and God can elevate you to do something according to his will. And that's what we see in the life of Gideon. In fact, Gideon begins to say, hey, hey God, uh, um, uh, what about, uh, why is all this happening to us? And, and what about all these wonderful, miraculous things that you did? Why won't you help us now? You brought us out of Egypt in the past that we heard of our forefathers speak of, but now you, it seems like you've forsaken us. So God, would you deliver us out of the Midianites' hands? And in verse number 14, the Bible says that he will do that and he will save them uh, from the Midianites. He says the word save, it literally means the word deliver, to give salvation, a temporal salvation here. Verse 15, it speaks about, um, he says, oh, my Lord, he says, he gives his excuses to God. He says, how exactly are you going to save Israel? You, you want me, God? My family's poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least of all my father's house. I'm so thankful that God can take the least of these to distribute to the world. I'm thankful today that God can take just a little lunch 
and feed multitudes upon multitudes. I'm thankful that God can take just a, a, a little woman named Mary in the New Testament and, and use her to give birth to the Son of God and so that we see that Jesus come to be the ultimate deliverer from our sins. And eventually we see that in this particular section, Gideon <laughs> requests a sign from this angel of the Lord, and, and he gives him that sign. Gideon goes along the way and prepares a meal and brings it to him, and then he takes his staff or rod, and he touches it, and, and fire comes out. And so it's interesting, throughout the Old Testament, we see that God oftentimes uses fire to speak to his people. Remember Moses? Moses was, was hearing the voice of God through the burning bush. And now Gideon is seeing the sign of God come. And I guess that just wasn't enough for him. And so later on, he begins to present this fleece to God. But before he does that, he, he perceived in verse 22 that this was a message from God. And so he builds an altar and he calls it Jehovah Shalom. In other words, God of peace, the Lord of peace. But verse 25, down to the end of chapter 6, we see this idea of the fleece. And before he sets up the fleece, by the way, after he consecrates himself to God, look at verse 28. These men of the city, they come about and they say, hey, hey, the altar of Baal has been cast down. And remember, God, after he erects this altar, he commands Gideon to go tear this altar of Baal down. That is courage. Now, Gideon was a little fearful of all these other men, so he took some friends of his, and they go at nighttime, and they destroy the altar. Now, now I'll say this. Is, listen, um, there are times in our lives when we have to go and do things when nobody else is watching. But eventually, the truth will come to light. And so they found out it was Gideon. And so they wanted Gideon to die. I mean, it's easy to stand up here and preach about sin that I don't struggle with, that maybe you struggle with. But what's hard is for us all to agree that the sins that we all struggle with is still sin to God. And so imagine if we all struggled with stealing chewing gum from Walmart. Let's just assume we all struggle with that. And we had a guest preacher come and he said, stealing chewing gum from Walmart is a sin and you need to repent of it. And man, we were infuriated by this man because we liked our chewing gum from Walmart, our Jiffy Fruit, man. It's good. We got to have it. In similar fashion, these Midianites, or these people, these Israelites, were being influenced by the Midianites and all these other cultures, and they're worshiping this false god, Baal, or Baal. And here, in this section, Gideon tears the altar down. They come and they say, we want Gideon dead. It's courage. I wonder, would you be willing to preach the truth of God even at the cost of your life resulting in death? In verse 36, Gideon, well, really, verse 33 to 35, Gideon gathers an army to defeat the Midianites. And in verse 36 through 40, we see he lays out this fleece. And he asks God 
on two different occasions, God, I want the fleece to be full of water and the ground to be wet. And then the other time he says, God, I want the fleece to be dry and all the ground to be wet. And God, in his mercy and his patience, did the requests for Gideon, reminding him so far with this angel touching uh, the food with the staff and fire coming and this fleece being dried one time, the fleece being wet the other, reminding that God is calling him. And so listen, as we think about chapter 6, I can't help but think about this courageous consecration. He goes in, he dedicates an altar to God, the true God that the Israelites had failed to worship. And hey, listen, I know that we don't have groves and, and houses of worship that are dedicated to Baal today, but we can clearly look into the American culture and we can see houses of worship and other means. We see it through success. We see it through pleasure. We see it through fame and fortune. And so today I want to I urge us all to exclusively worship God as God and have no other gods in our life as God. Faith in God will courageously serve God. What does Gideon's courageous faith teach us about serving God? Well, first of all, those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous consecration. But secondly today, may I draw your attention to chapter 7 of the book of Judges, the magnificent story of Gideon's life that we all remember him by, defeating the Midianites with 300 men. Secondly, those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous conviction. Courageous conviction. Not just courageous consecration, but now courageous conviction. In verse number one of chapter seven, really verse one to verse eight, the Bible tells us that God speaks to Gideon and he says, Gideon, you've got too many people here. He had 30 some thousand people. In fact, 32,000, according to verse three. And Gideon is told by God, it's too many but keep in mind, later in chapter 8, we'll discover that the Midianites had 135,000 people in their army. Now, I'm not very good at this concept of warfare. I'm not, a, I'm not a general of an army. But all I know that if you have 135,000 people stacked up against 32,000 people, it should be a no-brainer. It's like having a football team of 200 people against like 10 people, right? I mean, come on. Now, we know that, that this is going to not play in, in favor of the Israelites here. And God says he's going to do this because he wants the Israelites to realize it is not them fighting, it is God fighting on their behalf. And so there's still 10,000 people. And, and after, well, Gideon goes and he says, hey, if you're afraid to go and buy, fight these Midianites, you can go home. So 22,000 people go home. He's stuck with 10,000. And God says, hey, you still got too many. Whew, man. 10,000 versus 135,000. Man. Man. You think you could beat um, a football team that had 35 people against you individually? Just you yourself against 35 people. Chances are you're going to lose. And chances are these Israelites are going to lose big time. 10,000 versus 135,000. But God says, hey, I want you to take the Israelites down to the river and those that lap like a dog, I want you to set them aside and everybody else who kneels down and tries to drink the water that way, I want you to set them aside. And so 300 men are left in Gideon's army. So he goes from 32,000 to 10,000. Now he's got 300 men. And God says, hey, now you're ready. Now you're ready, Gideon. You got your army. Fascinating. I don't think Gideon was fully convinced just yet. And he, he, the people take their 
victuals, they, they, they grab their trumpets, they grab their, their clay pots, and they grab their torches, and now they're ready to go. And in verse 9 down to verse 14, the Bible says that Gideon talks to a man who had a dream, and in this dream, it's, it's a dream that just symbolizes that, that God is going to use Gideon and his army to defeat the Midianites. He, he talks about this huge cake of barley rolling down the mountain and just destroying the Midianites. And, and in verse number 14, the Bible says that 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 this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. And now Gideon is convinced. And so in verse 15 down to verse 25, Gideon is convinced. He goes back and he develops a strategy about what they're going to do. He says, what we're going to do is I'm going to set you up in the three sections, 100 people here, 100 people here, 100 people there. You're going to all have trumpets. You're going to have your clay pots. You're going to have a torch there. And what we're going to do is we're going to blow the trumpets. We're going to break the pots. We're going to hold the torches. And we're going to shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And we're going to do this at nighttime. And we're going to defeat the Midianites this way. Now, I'm just reading between the lines here. It's just like the story with, with Joshua and, and Jericho that the Israelites did not buck uh, Gideon. They did not say, hey, Gideon, uh, no, I don't think we should do this. These were the brave men of the bunch. And Gideon, in a sense, is displaying courage here. And so they go. They surround. Now, my own thoughts, this is my opinion, okay? This is not in the Bible, but... But my, my opinion is, 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 of course, the Bible speaks about how Midian, Midianites are down in the valley. And so my opinion is they're on top of this ridge here. And for some reason, maybe the acoustics of the mountain allowed the army to sound like they had 350,000 soldiers there. I don't know. That's my speculation. So there they go. They blow the trumpets at nighttime. And they shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They break the pots and they see the fire torches. And man, those Midianites went crazy. They begin taking up their swords and killing each other. And then the leaders, the kings, and the leadership, they ran and flee away. And in chapter 7, we see courageous conviction of a man who is a little reluctant to follow God and obey God in chapter 6. Now we see a man who is totally consumed by courage and conviction. And today, my friends, I think we need a little dose of that courageous conviction in the church today. That, hey, no matter what the world is saying or doing around us, we need to just stand firm on the Bible and what the scriptures teach about how Jesus is the only way to heaven, how the Bible is the word of God, and that the only way to get to God is to get to God through Jesus. We need that courageous conviction today. Faith and God will courageously serve God. Chapter 8 is good, but also bad. It's the story of the judges. The deliverer that's raised up, or the judge, if you will, does good. But then they fall and go back to their old ways. And so as we think about chapter 8, I want to share with you thirdly, what else does Gideon's courageous faith teach us? Thirdly, those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous confession. Those who have faith in God will serve God with courageous confession. 
in chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, Gideon disputes with, this, with these Ephraimites. And then in verses 10 through 12, Gideon captures the kings of Midian. There they have a great victory there. He destroys Succoth and Peniel. And then, and then in, in verse 22 verse 30, through verse 32 is where I want to draw your attention today. The men of Israel come to Gideon and they say, Gideon, will you rule over us? Both you and your son and your son's son also, will we be our king, Gideon? And I love Gideon's humble response. But they said, you have delivered us from the hand of Midian, so we want you to be our ruler. And Gideon says, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. Check it out now. He says, the Lord, this is the word for the Lord, personal God of Israel. He says, the Lord God of Israel shall rule over you. So many times in our Christian life, we want certain people to rule over us, to oversee us, but we need to check ourselves to make sure that we understand that God is the ultimate ruler and king of our hearts. Certainly there are people who help lead us along the way in our Christian journey, but Jesus is our ultimate leader and we follow him. And so I love this response by Gideon. But it doesn't end there. I really wish the story of Gideon would just end right here in verse 23 of Judges chapter 8, but, but my, my friends, it just doesn't, just doesn't work out that way. While Gideon was a man of great confession here, it goes on to realize that, hey, we can, we can learn from the, the, the mistakes of the rest of the life of Israel and Gideon by that we need to go to God when sin harbors in our hearts and when we allow sin to creep into our lives, that we need to confess it before God. In verse 24, Gideon speaks to the people and he, and he says, gather all the jewelry and bring to me. And so they brought it. Verse 25. They laid it there before him. And the, the Bible mentions the weight here in verse 26. And, and let's just say it was not a light feather. It was a lot. And through all that was brought to him, Gideon made an ephod thereof. Now, if you go back and you study Levitical law, you'll realize that, this, that an ephod is, in the Israelite mind, is a garment that was arrayed with, with all sorts of jewelry that the priests would wear as they're doing these rituals in the house of God. But just to be quite frank with you, Scholars don't know exactly what this ephod was. It could have been some type of relic. It could have been a garment like we think of when we think about the Old Testament sense of an ephod. But whatever it was, whether it was a garment arrayed with all this gold or whether it was a statue made by gold or whatever it might have been, what it was, it was a stumbling block for the people of Israel and they used that relic, if you will, as a God in their life. I think about going to Turkey and, and Greece where you go to some of these different Orthodox or Catholic churches and they go down beside these relics and they look at these pictures, they look at these artifacts and they, they bow before them in a sense giving that relic worship. And today, my friends, we do not worship anything made by the hands of man. We worship a God who cannot fit within the, even the mind of mankind. We worship a God that can't be made by our hands or our imaginations. 
And to today, let's learn from their example how they turn to idolatry, but then we see Gideon turn to immorality. It's so sad. Gideon would have known the story of the Torah with the first two human beings, Adam and Eve. God made Adam and Eve. He did. He made marriage to be between one man and one woman and preferably for life. And we see that the Bible goes on to speak about how Gideon had many wives. And it says he had three score and ten sons. In other words, 70, verse 30. And it says he had many wives. Now, let me just pause and say this. That God and his gracious, long-suffering and mercy tolerated the polygamous affairs in the Old Testament. But when we get to the books of the New Testament and Corinthians, Paul is very, very clear that let every man have his own wife and let every wife have her own husband. Very clear that polygamy is sin in the eyes of God. And polygamy in the Old Testament, whenever you see a man, even great, these great characters of faith, many of them practiced it. And, and whenever they did, it always ended in bad situations. I mean, let's just think about this. Ladies, let's just consider you. Let's say that you had 70 husbands. How would your life be? <laughs> well, I would say that it's hard enough to have one husband, isn't it? Yeah, much less 70. <laughs> man. So Gideon is leading the Israelites as a judge or a deliverer, and he's leading the way for immorality. And what happens is, is immorality, when it creeps in, it also allows idolatry to come in. And that's why, like, in the Old Testament sense, that, that God said, don't marry, or don't intermingle with these Canaanites who refuse to confess Jehovah as God. Because if they worship these other gods, that will creep in, and their lifestyles will also lead you away. And so, what happens at the end of chapter 8 is, is really, in my opinion, the means of leadership by Gideon. But we do know that, that for 40 years, the Israelites lived in peace. Verse 28 says that, to, to the handiwork of Gideon. And we are thankful for that. But verse 34 and verse 35 it says that the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. Think about that. They had 300 men surrounding the Midianites who had 135,000 people in their army. And just after 40 years, or perhaps during those 40 years, they forgot about God. And it says that they forgot about him, they remembered him not, who delivered them out of the hands of their enemies on every side. And neither showed they kindness to the house of, of, of Gideon, according to all the goodness which he showed to Israel. Israel, in this moment, turns back to idolatry. Hmm. I want to say this in conclusion that so many times we are so guilty to look into this passage uh, and say, man, these Israelites, how could they go back to worshiping Baal? How could they go back to all these different 
practices that they were engaged in and, and erecting these pagan houses of worship and these groves and these altars to worship other gods. How could they do this? I mean, they, they just saw this miracle take place. But I submit to you today that we are no better than the Israelites. God has given us the greatest miracle of them all, not the parting of the Red Sea, not the parting of the Jordan, not the defeat of the walls of Jericho, not the defeat here of the, of the Midianites, but, but, but he has given us a greater miracle, and that is salvation, how he's given us the new birth through Christ. And, and today, I, I submit to you that, that, that if Christ saved us gloriously and graciously by faith through the cross, then why would we ever want to go back to the things that we were engaged in before we knew Jesus as Savior? So may God help us to courageously serve Him by faith. So my question I want to ask you is this. Will you courageously serve God by faith? If you have faith in God, then you will serve Him with courageous confession with courageous conviction and courageous consecration. Courageous faith is what God requires of his children. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.